0: As well, we encourage you to head that way, up through the fifth grade, and we'll make sure you get to the right place. And The rest of you, grab your uh, copies of God's Word and t- turn to Acts chapter 6, turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, hey, just just so you know, um, we, we do have, we've had a, a little air conditioning problem here recently, um, we're trying to get that fixed. Brian Parker just <clears throat> informed me today that they tried to replace a card and they thought the card would work and it didn't. They thought it was a bad card. I don't understand all this, but um, that's another reason I don't have a coat on today because last week I was dripping. It feels a little bit better in here today. Out there it's a little bit warmer, but uh, we're, we're working on that and um, trusting the Lord is going to provide the right card so all of the building is cooler, but we're thankful for a, uh, a building to meet in and um i was reminded on our way way back from abilene you ever been to abilene that's like way out there okay it's the first time i've ever been to abilene and reminded how humid it is here because it was 99 degrees in abilene the other, when i was there and it didn't feel near as hot <laughs> and the cloud came over and almost got a little chill here a cloud can come over and you don't see feel any difference at all because of the humidity so uh, but uh Um, I was reminded of how blessed we are with moisture in the air here, right? uh, We are, and thankfully for that. Well, um, it's good to see some of you, and some of you haven't seen you in a while. I've been in and out. This is summer, right? We come in and out, in and out, in and out, and all of a sudden, probably in a couple weeks, everybody will start coming back around. So make sure you get your seats, because when everybody comes back around, we'll be full again as we were all spring, and uh, get here early so you can claim your spot. I guess, uh, but we, it's so good to see you. So good to be here, and so we—I'm uh, ex- so excited to be with you uh, in God's Word today. We are in this series uh, called "The Mission of God" um, in the Book of Acts, and this morning we're going to be covering um, Acts chapter six, verses five through fifteen. Now, some of you may be thinking, "Well, we covered." One through seven, why are we going to go back and pick up five? You'll understand here in a few minutes um, as we tie those verses back in together where we're going today. And the title of the message this morning is uh, The Attributes of One God, one <coughs> The Attributes of One Called by God. The Attributes of One Called by God. And, and I, I tell you, I'm real excited about this passage um, because when I read through here and I studied through here, it gives me great hope. And if you look around us in, a, in our world today, not only in the United States, but all over the world. But we need hope. We need hope that this promise that God made that his mission would be fulfilled all over the world is going to actually happen. Because sometimes it doesn't look like it does. It? Let's all be honest. It does, sometimes it doesn't look like we're winning. And yet, when you begin to study God's word and in passages like this, you're reminded that not only will God's mission be fulfilled, but he uses people like you and me. And that amazes me that he uses people like me. It really does. And it should shock all of us that he uses any of us. And we're going to see him use a man here to, to catapult the mission of God to areas that never had been before uh, in our passage today. Uh, so let's, I'm going to read this passage as a whole and then we'll come back and, and look at it um, together. Beginning in verse 5 down through the rest of chapter 6 of the book of Acts. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Bacchorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen... Full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then he secretly included induced men to say. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and later the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel let's pray Well, Lord again we come to this time and our time of corporate worship where we look deeply into your word and we ask that you would speak to us we ask that you would speak to our hearts Lord that you would bring a change when change needs to be uh, take take place or we uh, ask that you would bring encouragement and exhortation in those areas where we need that Lord you know all of our hearts better than we know our own And so Lord we're um, asking you to do what only you can do And that is make your word come alive in our lives We pray this in Jesus name, Amen Well um, this is a little time of confession to you all Near the end of my college uh, days A well-meaning friend of mine challenged me To join him in praying for a guy named Arsenio Hall Remember him? Anybody remember him? Just me? Okay. Now let me ask this. How many of y'all actually watched the Arsenio Hall show at least once? See, some of you are lying. You don't raise your hand. God, I didn't watch that terrible, sinful show. All right. You'd like to watch David Letterman. That's always a lot better, right? Um, but I remember that show, and he was a host of this late night talk show called the Arsenio Hall show from 1989 to 1994. And in the first few years, we were wildly popular. Everybody wanted to know who, at least knew who Arsenio Hall was. He was funny. He was good-looking. Um, at least, not that I would think he was good-looking, all right? But uh, he, he was just popular. And it'd be like praying for the salvation of, and I, I don't stay up late enough to watch late-night shows anymore, but Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, or Dr. Phil, or Donald Trump. Somebody who's very famous. People who have a lot of power and and a lot of charisma and and people who are funny and the world looks to and and thinks a lot of in some ways. That's kind of what it would be like today. My friend explained to me why we needed to pray for Arsenio Hall and for for his salvation specifically. He said, imagine how many people's lives would be changed if Arsenio Hall became a Christian and he was on God's team. I don't know. That's a pretty good reason to pray for Arsenio Hall's salvation. That would be great if he had Arsenio Hall on our side, right? And with all he would, all of that, all of his good looks and humor and he was articulate and rich and famous, all that, surely the gospel was spreading greater ways than ever before, right? Well, I bought into that and... I believe that if he became a Christian, that God would reach a lot more people. And remember, he was famous. He uh, would be sure to make an impact for the gospel, right? Be careful. Be careful. Then, as I began to grow and mature as a follower of Jesus Christ, I realized that I was praying for Arsenio Hall's for all his salvation for all the wrong reasons. You see, God did not need Arsenio Hall. Jesus did not need Arsenio Hall. Arsenio Hall needed Jesus. And that's the only reason I should have prayed for Arsenio Hall. God didn't need his fame. He didn't need his power. He didn't need his articulation. He didn't need his humor. He didn't need his good looks. He didn't need any of that. But Arsenio Hall needed Jesus. And often we think if that person were just a Christian can you imagine what God could do with that person? I mean then we would win for sure, right? Oh man. We gotta be careful with that. Because we're insinuating that then God can't do what He has planned to do without a person. Without human gifts and human power and human fame. What would Jesus do without them? You see, God doesn't need anyone. We're the ones who need him. He doesn't need the gifts and talents and fame of people to impact our world. Now I'll grant you this. He does use people. And that is part of his plan. There's no doubt about that. He uses us. And it's amazing. But he doesn't need us. He could do it some other way if he wanted to, couldn't he? He could. He sees even the rocks cry out. God can use anyone or anything, but he chooses to use people. I understand that. Now listen to this. He does not call the gifted. He gifts the called. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And there's a big difference with that. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And that's exactly what we see God do through the book of Acts. I mean, in reality, the people who originally became Christians were not the ones that were on, on the top of Forbes' list. I can promise you that. They wouldn't make times 100 most influential people in the world before they became Christians, not a one of them would have. The only one in Jesus' disciples who would have would be Judas. Who wants to be him? And you look through here and and, and the people who came to faith in Christ were not the the mighty and the strong and the good looking. And nothing this wrong. All right, But that wasn't originally the, the, the first part of the church. Now we did see at the end of our passage last week that many priests were obedient to the faith. And these men who had earthly power weren't called because they had earthly power. Weren't Saved because they had the earthly power. They were saved because they needed Jesus. And all of a sudden this guy that they had been teaching all about. And, and misunderstanding. They began to understand the gospel. And their lives were changed. He calls people to salvation. There's no doubt about that. Through Jesus. And in so doing he calls them to be a part of his mission. His mission of getting the gospel to the world. That's God's mission. So yes, he calls people to salvation. There's a call that goes out. and There's an inward call by the power of the Holy Spirit that that calls people, right? And then once we trust in Jesus Christ, he calls all of us to be about what he's about. And that's seeing more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. Well, that's what the book of Acts is about, is using people, uh, calling them, and then equipping them to carry out his mission. So let's turn our attention here to, to the book of Acts. And, and we're going to work down through these verses uh, today and, and discover some attributes that are emphasized about Stephen. And in fact, I'm going to point out eight attributes of one called by God so that we might be challenged to rely on God to mature and to be used by him to fulfill his mission. Now before we get started, let's be reminded uh, again that God did not call Stephen to salvation, because Stephen needed because because God needed Stephen and all of his gifts instead he called Stephen because Stephen needed him and then he changed Stephen from the inside out and equipped him, granted him these attributes that we see about Stephen in our passage so he could be more faithful in playing out playing his part on the team to fulfilling god 's mission so let, let me remind you of this important truth. Um, and I really want to stress this because it's, if we're all honest, even though we know it, we sometimes forget it. We may not forget it intellectually, but we forget it by the way that we live our lives. We practically become, sometimes what I call we become practical atheists. We say we believe one thing, but we don't live like it, right? And if we don't live like it, maybe in reality we don't really believe it. All right? So I call that sometimes in our life, as Christians, we can look like practical atheists. But here's a truth I want us to be reminded of that's in in Acts. But in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 13 it says this, So then my beloved just as you always obeyed not as my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, you'll remember when I you were here preached through Philippians and we came across this verse these two verses. And I asked this question. Who's at work? God or you? And the answer was, yes. God is at work and we are at work. We are at work because God is at work in us. That's important. The answer to the question is, yes, we're both at work, but we are at work because God is at work in us. Now, notice we are not working for our salvation. We are not working on our salvation. We are working out our salvation. We are working out what God has worked in and that's what Stephen does here he works out, he lives out what God has already worked out in his own life let's briefly be reminded here of our context in the book of Acts in chapter 6 the church is growing like crazy probably 20,000 people at this time in the church it's amazing how quickly the church exploded shouldn't be amazed because God was in it and he was changing the hearts of people and they were telling other people about him and he was changing their hearts as well and so we come, this amazing growth. There's been persecution from without, from within. And now it's amazing growth and there's this tension that starts. The Hellenistic Jews were a little upset. And the Hellenistic Jews, they're Greek-speaking Jews who had been dispersed all right, all over the, the known world at the time because of um, Babylon and the, their their ancestors had been and they were dispersed in 586 BC and many of them did not come back to Jerusalem and now they're coming back to Jerusalem uh, the day of Pentecost many of them came back to celebrate um, the giving of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit hopefully they, were, they were not celebrating necessarily the uh, giving the Holy Spirit they were celebrating Pentecost which they always did and then God gave the Holy Spirit And amazing things happened. Many of them stayed. There was also people who came back, not for that purpose, but there were these Hellenistic congregations that grew up, synagogues in Jerusalem. And then many of them heard the gospel, and they were changed from the inside out. These people who were not native Jews, weren't born in Jerusalem, weren't born in the land of Israel, came back, and God changed their heart. But also there were native Jews. And they were there their whole life. And they were, of course, more important than the Hellenistic Jews because they, weren't, they, they lived far off and came back, right? So you had these different cultures. You had these people who had different languages all in the church. And it seemed like the Hellenistic Jewish widows were being slighted. It says in the serving the food... And we saw that word can mean even more than that. Just being taken care of, which was important in the nation of Israel. You would take care of the widows. And It was passed on, of course, to the church. That it was important to the church to take care of the widows. And they had this tension. They're like, hey, our, our, our girls, our, our, our widows are getting shorted. And the native Jews are getting all the good food. Or whatever. Some kind of tension. So the apostles, see it comes the apostles, this problem. And all of a sudden, they, they say, well, you know what, we cannot neglect what God has called us to do primarily, which is the word of God in prayer. So, the, to the congregation, select seven men who can be put in charge of this task to make sure that the widows are cared for, whether they're Hellenistic or whether they're native. So that's what happened. They, they, it happens, they choose these seven men, and they're approved by the apostles. And one of these men that were chosen by God for this task was Stephen. And the rest of chapter 6 through chapter 7 is about Stephen. Alright, and another guy's name uh, that was mentioned right after Stephen in that list of seven is Philip and chapter 8 is about Philip. And then we get Paul comes along. So Stephen and Philip are all transition from Peter to Paul in the book of Acts. Now I want you to briefly see what the result of Stephen's defense and preaching the gospel leads to. So just just in case you... We think about Stephen and all we're going to learn about Stephen. All the great things about Stephen. I just want you to let you know what it leads to in his life. So turn with me to the end of chapter 7 verses 54 through 60, and let's see what happens after God uses Stephen and he preaches this amazing sermon. Look what happens in verse 54 of chapter 7. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said Lord Jesus receive my spirit then falling on his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them having said this he fell asleep or in English he died his preaching of the gospel led to his murder Now, remember that as we work down through and we look at the attributes of this great man named Stephen, it led to his murder. He was the first Christian martyr. Now, look with me back there, and verse. uh, Look, look with not back. Let's just go on here. I want to show you what else it led to. Not only to lead to his murder, but look at verses one and two of chapter eight. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made the loud lamentation over him. Now, notice that Stephen's death and the great persecution that followed it led to Christians being scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. But it led to these people being scattered. Now remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus laid out his mission for the church, the apostles. Look what he said. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all where? Judea and Samaria and even to the lowest part of the earth. Well, look what else his life led to and his ministry led to. It led to the beginning of the fulfillment of what God's plan was for the church, his mission to the church. It says here in, in, in Acts 8 that people were scattered to Judea and Samaria. And I, I just love this. I love to see this. I mean, you can just imagine, Satan was probably thinking to himself, oh great. We took out Stephen. Right? He's the most powerful preacher they got right now. I'm going after Peter next. He did his wonderful things. But they, we got him. He's dead. And then through that persecution and his death and greater persecution that came from that took people who knew the gospel to places who didn't know the gospel just like God had planned. You can't stop the plan of God. They can't stop the plan of God. So Stephen's death is used by God to proclaim the gospel and fulfill his mission to Judea and Samaria. And now just think about this. Stephen didn't even get a chance to see the results of how God used his life. He never saw the results. He never saw what God used his life for in his presentation of the gospel. He never saw you and I sitting here at Grace Bible Church this morning, Clute, Texas, recipients. Okay, God is in control, there's no doubt, but he uses people. Recipients of the faithfulness of Stephen because if it doesn't get to Judea and Samaria it's not going to get here either it's not going to get to Clute, Texas I promise you that but this is the way God, This is what God used and Stephen never saw that so as you continue just a, a, a side note here as you continue to faithfully serve the Lord and take the gospel to your neighborhood and to your neighbors and your workplace and the people that you know you may never see the results but know that God is using you and he will use you see the results aren't our deal are there those are God's deal And we don't do it for the results. Necessarily for what we get out of it. We do it for what God gets out of it. His glory and the gospel being shed. Spread all over the the world. So let's get back here and discover these eight attributes I mentioned here in Stephen's life. Really the one who's called by God. Uh, look at verses 5 through 7 again with me. I'm going to read those again. The statement found appear, uh, approval, so they're going to choose these seven, with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, uh, Prochorus, Niconor, uh, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a from Antioch, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them, the word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Here we see these seven men presented, uh, called to take care of the issue with the care of the widows, and the results of the church working as a team. And what was the result of verse 7 says, as they worked as a team, that the word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. It began to grow as they worked together as a team, worked through this difficulty together. Now remember, these men were not necessarily the first deacons in the church. You hear that often. These are the first deacons. Can somebody show me where it says that in chapter 6 of Acts or any place else in the book of Acts? It never says that. Now, did they do some things that later deacons did? Yes, they did. And and later deacons would take this mantle, in a sense, and care for many of the things that they did. But they were never called deacons anywhere in Scripture. So we've got to be careful about being dogmatic. These are the first deacons. No, they, they were similar, a lot like them, but they weren't the first deacons, but they were used greatly by God. So always be careful about making blanket statements about passages when you can't prove it from the passage, right? Um, so they weren't necessarily, they were men used by God. And in fact, these first two men that are mentioned, Stephen and Philip, aren't known for their service, mostly. As you continue to learn about their life, they're known for about being an evangelist. That's what everybody knows Stephen for uh, the rest of his life. Not that he wasn't great in serving, I'm sure he was. And you don't know Philip as a, as a, as a servant, as a, a deacon in a sense. You know him for his evangelism. You know him for his interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch, which we'll get to here in a few weeks. That's what we know those guys about, is they took the gospel to the nation because that's what's most important. At any rate, notice what it says about um, Stephen there in verse 5. A man full of faith. Uh, the word full means to be totally controlled by something. Uh, that, that it, it dominates your life. That's what it means to be full of something. We sometimes say, well, that person's full of joy. You ever heard somebody say that about someone? Well, that person's full of life. Well, that person's full of energy. You ever been around somebody like that? I live with one. Okay? Full of energy. All right? Uh, and more than one, but uh, one in particular. Uh, somebody say, that person's full of anger. We understand what they're saying. That they're controlled by anger. It dominates their life in such a way that you, you, you use the word full. And, and Stephen's life, here he said, was controlled by faith. He was full of faith his life looked like faith. He really believed God for lots of different things. In what did he believe or put his faith? Well, he believed in the deity of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was God. And he believed that, that only through faith in Jesus could someone be made right with God. Now, how do I know this? How, how do I know this? Well, I mean, we'd probably all say, well, he's Stephen, he's a Christian, he should believe that, right? Well, he should. But we know this from the context that we're reading from even this morning. Look at verse 11 with me. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Skip down to verse 13. They put forward the w- false witnesses and said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. All right, and then verse 14. And we have found him say that this Nazarene Jesus, which is an insult, to call Jesus a Nazarene, because they thought nothing good came out of Nazareth. He says, "We'll destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to him." So you see that Stephen said, they, they said Stephen spoke against Moses, God, this holy place, the law. He wants to change the customs of Moses. So what was it that they believed about the law of Moses? What did they believe about the temple? When they say this place, they're, they're, they're talking about the temple. What do they believe about the customs of Moses? They believed that those things that God had given them, if they kept those good enough, they'd be made right with God. See, their salvation was based upon what they did, not what he did. And obviously they had a problem with what Stephen believed about those things. Because it says they falsely accused him. I think some of the things they said, that Stephen said, he did say. But they misunderstood him. And thought he was speaking against Moses. But he wasn't speaking against Moses. He was speaking about the prophet that God spoke through Moses that would come. The prophet that would fulfill the law. The prophet that would bring about salvation by grace. All through the law. Um, And the, the sacrificial system all pointing to who? It pointed to Jesus. So... We know that he must have believed and taught the deity of Jesus Christ. And only through faith in him can someone be made right with God. Because that's the exact opposite of what they believed. And they had a problem with it. Multiple times had a problem with it. So when we look at, and when we look at Stephen's sermon. The next time we're together in, in the book of Acts. We'll also discover that not only was he full of faith in the deity of Christ. And salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. But he also was full of faith, or he believed the Old Testament. He believed God's word, because all through his sermon, which we'll see here in a couple of weeks, he quotes the Old Testament as if it's true, just like Jesus did, because he believed God's word. He was full of faith in the word of God. He was controlled by what he believed about Jesus and God's word. So from Stephen's example, we discover the first attribute of one called by God is they're full of faith. Full of faith. And here's my question to you. Are you full of faith? Are you controlled by what you believe? And I would say, yes, you are controlled by what you believe. One way or the other. The question is, what do you believe? What we believe has everything to do with how we respond to things. It has everything to do with the way we react has everything to do with the way that we act what we believe are we full of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does that dominate, does that control our life our faith in what Christ has done on our behalf are we full of faith in ourselves that we can make ourselves right with God that our works or our goodness or our power can make ourselves right with God are we full of faith, are we controlled by what we believe about God's word do we believe it truly is inerrant totally sufficient the Word of God. Do we believe that? Does it control our lives? It should. Well, the only way that we're going to be full of faith and full of His Word is to be in His Word. is to know His Word. And listen, I'm going to make this clear. Because the way that we often will teach through books of the Bible and you know that I spent 110 messages in the book of Genesis and you, probably some people that was like an overkill. Okay, maybe it was. I'm not sure. It's been spent 90 some messages I think in the book of John. Um, Um, May there's an overkill, I don't know. But my purpose is not to see how slow I can go. Or make sure you you know all the Greek words or anything like that. Often I don't even use that. Um, But my purpose is so you can know a person. And when you study the Word of God, do not seek for knowledge, for knowledge's sake. You study His Word to know Him. And when we study His Word to know Him, we will be full of faith. We be in him and in his word that it can be trusted and we can live by it. That's good news. So let me encourage you and exhort you again to submit yourself to the word of God and be full of faith in him and his word. Well, well not only was he full of faith, but verse 5 says he was also full of the Holy Spirit. His life was controlled by the Holy Spirit in him. He submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. And the empowering of the Holy Spirit to God's will in his life. And this is the second attribute of one called by God. Full of the Holy Spirit. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Now this came up uh, last week as we talked about all of the men need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this often. um, uh, Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The question is, is your life being controlled by the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something that necessarily that just happens on a whim. We're commanded. And it's a present imperative, meaning that we are to daily be filled moment-by-moment with the Holy Spirit, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That He dominates our life. Are we full of the Holy Spirit? And we also learn... Uh, from Colossians in a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 the, the, the synonym to being filled with the Holy Spirit is let the word of God richly dwell within you because the results in those two passages are exactly the same it's a synonym so when the word of God richly dwells within us we are controlled by the Holy Spirit they go hand in hand because it's the Holy Spirit, through God the Holy Spirit that we get the word that he empowered men and inspired men and filled men with the word to give it to us Well, now look at verse eight with me. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Here we see that he was full of what's it say? Grace. He was full of grace. What in the world does that mean? Full of grace. Now, some people who maybe didn't grow up in church and have grace. Okay, I know a girl named Grace. All right, we say grace before our meals. All right, And and there's some truth and grace before our meals, I guess. We're thanking God for His grace in our life. Maybe you grew up in church and you understand you think, okay, the definition of grace is unmerited favor. Getting something we don't deserve. Yes, it is that. Uh, It's also the desire and power to to do God's will. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God and His grace toward me did not prove vain but I labored more than all of them but not I but the grace of God in me. So his grace also empowers us. Yes, all those things are part of grace, and they, and they and, and and God's grace toward us and God's grace in us, and they all come together and work together. Yet I think that this passage leads to an understanding when it says "full of grace." It's something that Stephen exemplified his life. He was full of grace. Have you ever met anybody full of grace? Let me explain what what I mean by that. Look at the last verse in verse sixty. I mean, verse chapter seven, verse sixty chapter 7 verse 60 it's the last verse in chapter 7 we read this then falling on his knees he's getting ready to die he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against him having said this he fell asleep as he was dying from being stoned to death who's he thinking about himself or others he's thinking about others and these are the people who are killing him did they deserve him to do this for them no that's what makes it grace grace That's why it highlights the grace in his life extended to others. Because he had been so changed by God's grace, it flowed through him to other people. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Forgiving others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because he experienced God's grace, it came through his life. It controlled, it dominated his life. When he walked in the room, they say, that guy's full of grace. He's full of grace. And he showed that all the way to the end of his life. And this is the third attribute of one God called by God, full of grace. Is our life full of grace? Can't tell me how often I'll speak with people and they're really angry with someone. There's been great sin committed against them. And they'll say this, I could never forgive that person. Now I understand they're hurt. I understand that they're very hurt. And the person maybe has sinned against them greatly. But did God forgive you? And how much greater was your sin against an infinite holy God who is perfect than their sin against you? Did God extend grace to you? Who in here deserves God's grace? None of us. The Bible says without Christ we're all in rebellion. It says we're enemies of God. We shake our fist at God. We don't want anything to do with God. And yet He sent His grace in the person of His Son toward us. How can we who have experienced the grace of God not extend it to others full of grace full of grace let's just be reminded of the grace that god has given us in christ and may that empower us and encourage us to be gracious to others as well well now uh, look look at the look at the verse eight not only was he full of grace but also said he was full of power And this was evident by the fact that he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. These acts were confirming acts that God was with him, was using him to fulfill the mission of the church. Now why do I say that? Why do I say that these acts were confirming signs in his life that God was using him to fulfill the mission of the church? This is why. Because these signs are attributed in the book of Acts, this is a great study to go do, in the book of Acts, to the apostles, to Stephen, to Philip, and to Paul, and no one else. I am just saying that because that's what the scripture says. These signs and wonders are attributed to the apostles, to Stephen, to Philip, and Paul, and no one else in the book of Acts. Does that mean that God doesn't do wonders works today? Does that mean God can't heal? Please don't hear me saying that. Do not hear me saying that. I'm not saying that. God can heal you, bet. He's God, right? But there was a purpose and you see it through the book of Acts for these signs and wonders is God fulfilled his mission of taking the gospel to the nations to, to, to Judea, Samaria and other parts of the world as he, his messengers that he had chosen to be the, the, the catalyst in those areas, he gave them these signs and wonders so it would confirm that God was giving the same gospel he gave the day at Pentecost to the people all the way over here in Africa. That's what he was doing. That's what he's using the works for. God always had a purpose even in the, in, in, in the gospels In miracles. There was always a purpose beyond the miracle. Hey, is it amazing when God heals someone physically? You bet. But that's not the issue. God healing someone's leg, giving someone a new leg. Amazing. But it's way important that God gives someone a new heart. Do people without legs go to heaven? You bet. Do people who don't have a new heart go to heaven? No, they don't. There's always a purpose. That God always uses these miracles and signs and wonders in His people for a purpose and the purpose is the gospel and that's what's happening here the important aspect of this power was evangelism remember Acts 1-8 I'll bring it up here again for you remember this is the whole, this is the whole outline of the book of Acts but you receive power and the Holy Spirit has come on and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and uttermost part of the world what was the purpose of the power that they could be his witnesses of the gospel did he do some amazing things you bet can God still do amazing things you bet, physically, in the physical realm. Yeah, he, he, he owns it, he sustains it. You know, that's not the issue. The issue is our hearts and the salvation of people from sin. That's the issue. So the fourth attribute of one called by God is full of power. Is your life full of power or controlled by his power? This is seen as he gives us power for fulfilling his mission through evangelism. Anybody ever, go to share the gospel with someone, or you're having this congregation, and you know that person d- needs to hear about Jesus and how He can change your life and forgive their sin, and, and inside of you, man, it's like, oh man, if I say this, and they might say this, or I might lose my friendship, or I, I, I might be embarrassed. I may they may ask a difficult question, and all of a sudden you get doubt in your mind. You ever been there? To be all honest, I have. You bet. Sitting on an airplane next to someone, when you got them cornered, even. You know They can't get out. They're in, the, they're in the window seat. You're right next to them. And yet you've got these emotions going in. But God can give you the power to get the gospel of those people. Overcome those fears. Power is evident when we do that. The power of the Holy Spirit giving us the ability to go ahead and share the gospel with them. So those who are called by God are full of power. Now look at verses 9 and 10. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenius... Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen um, let, let me tell you about quickly about the freedmen, uh, the freedmen are a group of people who were uh, believers um, or, or Jewish people who actually taken to Rome in captivity alright, this is a little bit later, but they're taken to Rome, and there was, they were called the freedmen, and then they were slaves in Rome, and they worked to get their freedom, and many of them came back as Jewish people to Jerusalem, and there were synagogue of freedmen, and they spoke, most of them spoke some different language, so they began to worship together, now the, there's debate about how many synagogues are mentioned here you've got freedmen, the freedmen, including both Cyrenian and Alexandrians thank you Um, That may be one. And then Cilicia and Asa. There may be three to five. And there may be one. We don't know exactly. But these are people who came back. These are people who were Hellenist Jews. They spoke not Aramaic or Hebrew as their main language. They probably spoke Greek or another language. So they came together and they were um, back in Jerusalem. They began to form synagogues. Even though there's a temple, there's many synagogues. Where they go for daily teaching of the word of God. And for worship. And they, this may have been this particular one. And Stephen walks into this this synagogue, or maybe more of more than one, but it looks like here maybe one, to argue with the other Hellenist about the gospel because he was a Hellenist. Right? He was not a, a, a native-born Hebrew or native-born Jew. And he goes in there, and it says argue. to English. It's it, it's not like well, oh, yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how you read with a sibling? It's just yeah, 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 yeah. Infinity. It's all over, right? That's that kind of arguing. That's not this kind of arguing. This is a formal debate. This is, let me present my side, and I'll listen to you. And let me respond to what you had to say. It was some control. It's not just yelling. It's a formal debate. He went there with a plan to share the gospel. And then it says, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom, verse 10. Duh. I mean, it's like the understatement of the year. They were unable to cope with the wisdom. Look at, it, this, is, and this is the fifth attribute of one called by God, full of wisdom. It's God's, God's wisdom from his word because the Holy Spirit lived inside of Stephen. God's wisdom. They couldn't handle God's wisdom. Uh, they couldn't, they, they, when they quoted Dr. Phil, he quoted Jesus. Or even better yet, when they quoted Oprah, he quoted Moses. When they quoted whoever their philosophers were, whoever they were reading that was not from God and interpreting the law of God wrong, he quoted God. He quoted his word in context. They couldn't deal with his wisdom that came from God's word. Is our life full of that kind of wisdom? We won't get it from Oprah or Dr. Phil or Jimmy Kimmel or any of those other kind of things. We won't get it from reading self-help books or psychology books. We'll get it from the word of God. That's where his word come, wisdom comes from. Are we controlled by that kind of wisdom? Notice what else they were unable to cope with in verse 10. And the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, some, some people, um, and, it, and some of you, even your translations will have a capital S. I'm not, I don't think that, that it, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. I think the spirit was, the spirit within him, his passion all right, again, context dictates what I understand. We already know he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned that twice in chapter 6 already. But it, it, they were in his wisdom and his spirit. He's the passion. He believed what he said. Remember it talked about how Jesus, that he taught in such a way they'd never heard before, with power. I believe in the same way as with Stephen. That he's not he's Jesus, but there was a passion. He really believed it. You, you, ever, you ever listen to someone talk about the things of God and, and you're like this? Well, the word of God kept spreading. Oh man, that guy believes that, doesn't he? And they don't have to get all excited. But, I mean, at least the word of God kept spreading. I mean, people have different personalities, I understand that. But you've got to be passionate about this stuff. And he was so passionate, they couldn't deal with it. They, they kind of believed what they believed. And they, their passion wasn't simply from their heart, but from their, their, their worry about their power being taken away. Right? But he was so passionate, they couldn't handle his passion about the word of God about the truth of the gospel hopefully our lives are full of passion about the gospel as well that we don't act like we were baptized in vinegar and weaned on a dill pickle and sometimes that's the way we act as Christians wow who wants, well, who wants to be a Christian look at that guy whoo man whoo yeah. I want to be that guy you know man if God lives in you the spirit of God lives in you there should be a difference in our lives right now, yes, people may not agree whether we believe, but there should be a difference. They should understand we really believe this stuff. Uh, it's the, the, back in, in the uh, pre- Puritan days, they talk, used to talk about preachers that preach with light and preachers who preach with heat. Light was they got the truth out. Heat they do it with passion. We all need to be preachers with heat and light, all right? We want to make sure we're telling the truth, but we can do it with passion. Let's look at, now look at verses thir- 11 through 14. But then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council, which is the Sanhedrin. They, uh, they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses has handed down to us. Stephen purposely walks in to synagogue Presents the gospel, knowing there would be opposition. He knew that. He he knew there would be opposition, and it led him ultimately to be. It says to be dragged before the Sanhedrin, who had the power ultimately to do what happened at the end of chapter seven, to take his life. Yet he went anyway. He was courageous. And when you know Jesus, he'll make you courageous. And that's the seventh attribute of one called by God. Full of courage. Are we full of courage? So much so that we would put our reputation on the line. We would put our possible friendships on the line. Our popularity. Our money. And even our life. Possibly. On the line for the gospel. When you know Jesus, he'll give you courage. And we'll walk into places we know that there will be opposition. And we'll lovingly and passionately and yet boldly go ahead and speak the gospel in that situation. Now look at verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What in the world does that mean? So he's in the council. Now I just want to go back here because we're going to pick this up when we get back into Acts. I just want you to think about who might have been in that council. Who might have even been in the synagogues that he's debating in. There's a guy that we read about here near the end of chapter 7 that we're going to be introduced to named Saul who became Paul. Now can you imagine a formal debate between Stephen and Saul? Because Saul in Galatians says he was advancing far among his countrymen. He knew knew the, the law better than anyone. He was the top dog. He was their prime pupil. Can you imagine them talking back and forth? The Apostle Paul? Can you imagine... The Apostle Paul here sitting in on the Sanhedrin and hearing this and seeing this and I believe and we'll see, I can prove it by scripture in chapter 8 and 9 and then Paul's conversion, I I believe that God used Stephen's life to impact Paul, Saul at the time, Paul more than anything else. I really believe that. Could he have seen his face like an angel? There's a good chance he was there now we know he was at the end of his life because he was holding the cloaks giving approval in the very next part of chapter 8 he's out there on a rampage against Christians alright so good possibly he's there but what does it mean that he had a face like an angel let me ask this question what do angels do there's a a lot that they do All right. first let me just throw this out there angels as a whole there's kind of different ones angels cherubim seraphim but just general angels, when they show up in the Bible, they don't have wings. They look like people. Okay? Now there's some cherubim and seraphim. They, you know, we see these visions in Isaiah. They've got these wings and all that kind of stuff. But general angels, when they showed up in the book of Genesis, did they have wings? Nope. They didn't. All right, so they, but one thing that all the angels do is they do this. They reflect the glory of God. They reflect the glory of God. Now what's that remind you of? Who went up on the mountain and he said, "God, I just want to see Your glory." And God showed him His hindquarters. He put him in the cleft of the rock, and he gets to see the like just the the, the backside in a sense of God, just a little bit of His glory. And he came out, and what had happened to his face? He he had to have a veil it was shown because he was reflecting the glory of God. There's a good possibility because he brings up Moses all through his sermon that he's they're, they're referring. It's a reference to him reflecting the glory of God in some way, like Moses did. Like the angels do. They're there not about the angels. They're about God. Stephen wasn't there about him. He was about God and his glory, right? So a man like this, that's fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, who God's changing from the inside out, he's not worried about bringing glory to himself. He's worried about reflecting the glory to God. I think there's some truth in that here. What it possibly means that he, his face was like an angel. He reflected the glory of God. And I guess the question for us. This is the eighth attribute of one called by God. They reflect the glory of God. Do you? Do you reflect the glory of God? Do people see God in you? they see Jesus in you? Are you a reflector? Are you someone who sucks in things for themselves? It's a difference. Being a reflector. We want to be a reflector of the glory of God. God has called you and me and he will work in us and give us the attributes that we need to fulfill the mission of the church isn't that good news that's why this passage gives me hope because Stephen was a regular man just like you and I he was born in sin he was born not to love God he was an enemy of God and God through his gospel changed his life and changed man and it called him out and called him into service to be used to fulfill the mission of the church and he's done that for us too that gives me hope Have you responded to his call? Have you responded to his call initially? To salvation. So your sin could be forgiven. So you could be made right with God. Because your sin separates you from God. That's what the Bible says. And deserves God's death. It deserves his just punishment for your sin. But he sent his son to die in our place. To take that punishment. So we might be forgiven and be made right with God. My challenge to you this morning. If you've never done that. You would respond to that call. He's calling you. He's urging you. To come to him. And trust in Him alone. And for those who have, here's my question to you. Are you responding to His call? Not have you responded. Are you responding on a daily basis to the call He has on your life? And the attributes He has given you is one called by God for, fulfillment, for the fulfillment of the mission of the church. To take the gospel to the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example of Stephen but more importantly Lord uh, I just want to thank you for the example of Stephen we want to thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to use the attributes which you've given us as those who have been called by you to be used for your mission to get the good news to all those around us and throughout this world Lord we thank you for that help as we respond in song and as we respond um, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.